0: Hoy, It's your boy. Good to be in touch again. Today is Sunday, August 27th. It's about 7.10pm. Um, yeah, a lot of big changes actually. Um, I just had the uh, first couple of days of school this semester. And I gotta tell you, this semester my schedule is shit. Uh, I got like one class on Monday, Wednesday, Friday... One of those days, you can throw in like an extra hour of discussion for another class, but it's but you know it's not a lot, which is great on those days. However, on Tuesday and Thursday, I basically have class from eight a.m. until five p.m. in the afternoon, and uh, it's only three classes. Although one of those days, there's uh, an additional discussion group, um, and it's not like I'm in class the whole time. I actually have like a two-hour break between my first and second class, and then I have another couple hours between my second and third class. And while that sounds awesome, that's actually a nightmare because um, I don't know what it is, but I, I I have this every semester, which is I look at that time, and I go, that's awesome. I'm going to stay on campus, I'm going to go to the library, and I'm going to do homework. And although I do do that, inevitably, uh, those uh, that time is very difficult for me because I'll go to the library, and I'll start doing reading, and I just fight um, uh, w- wanting to sleep. I don't know what it is, but I get in that library, I settle in somewhere, and I sit down. And inevitably, I'm doing some type of reading assignment because, as a comparative literature major, but even as uh, you know, my other major is East Asian religion, thought, and culture. The amount of reading I have to do is just insane, and uh, I'm just kind of you know yeah, I'm just, I have to do these long, tedious readings, and uh, inevitably, I I usually take like a 15-minute nap in my seat, Um, but uh, this last Thursday, I mean, it was just, it was awful, Um, and the worst part is, is it's fine in the beginning of the semester, because you're just, it's just, it's new, it's what you're doing, you're adapting to your schedule, but as the semester wears on, it gets a little dangerous because you get those two-hour breaks. And if you have a day that comes around where you just don't have it in you, it's very easy to talk yourself into going home. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, sometimes that's not a huge deal because depending on the lecturer or the teacher, you know, it could be that um, although, of course, everyone wants you to attend lecture, it may not be part of your grade, but um, inevitably... Uh, because I'm cursed or I did something wrong in a past life, uh, attendance is very important for all of my classes this semester. So uh, in one sense, that's good, because now I'm accountable, and I'll have to be in class. But um, yeah, it just means it's uh, a more fertile ground for my resentment as I'm sitting there. You know, Every fiber of my being is telling me to just get back on my bike and head home and be done with the day, and yet I have to sort of uh, kill two hours in the library Falling asleep over, um, you know, some long-winded academic article about uh, inscriptions in uh, cere- uh, uh, ceremonial vessels from the, the Tang Dynasty in China, or something like that. So um, yeah, but that's okay. I think also some of my, some of my, mm, I was going to say my ire. I don't know, but uh, I also have a little bit of senioritis. This is my last semester. I'm very eager to finish, and I think it's like anything else. When you see that finish line in sight, it's just very easy uh, to, I don't know, just want to be done with the whole thing. So, um, it's funny. I was actually just sitting here thinking, I'm at my belly's full of pizza, and I actually feel very just kind of fat right now. Um, and I, as I was sitting down, I was thinking, I I think in another <laughs> in the first iteration of these recordings at some point in that cycle, I mean, we were connecting for about two and a half years or something like that, but I was doing a lot of running, which I've since not done uh, at all. So, um, yeah, I was just thinking like, gosh, I just feel, you know, as I get older, you know, it's just harder to keep your weight down. And, uh, uh, you know, even though I had like two slices of pizza at work today and we can talk more about that. Um, yeah, it just sits in you and you just, you already feel it like, uh, Uh, being absorbed into your body you know you don't burn things off the way that you used to when you were younger um but uh yeah no i was thinking when i was running a lot or you know i'd run a couple half marathons and i run some longer events and stuff like that i do remember if you're running and you have like another you know usually uh, for these events they have the mile markers posted when you see the last mile or two miles or something you just kind of go into overdrive and no matter how tired you are there's sort of this switch gets flipped where at least for me I always wanted to like leave everything on the course you know whether I was running a half marathon or actually the worst example for me was when I did this thing called Ragnar Relay which I think is like a hundred mile relay race that you do with a team of I think six people and everybody gets three legs of the race and you run it over a 48 hour period continuously so While one person is running, the other people just jump in a van and drive ahead. And then when that person catches up, somebody else jumps out and starts running. And you do this continuously for forty-eight hours. So inevitably, you—or at least I did. Anyway, I had like a my first leg was like I think in the afternoon, and then I ended up running at like one or two in the morning. And then you know you sleep for a couple hours, and then you get up and I ran at like ten a.m. for like the last like five miles of my part or whatever. But it's like I would see people, and they're at like the last mile before the finish line, and they're walking. And I guess at the end of the day, if you have to walk, if you absolutely have to walk, you have to walk. What else are you going to do? But my sense was it was just kind of people were just kind of done or kind of tapped out. For me, it was always like I, I don't need it anymore. Like Even if I'm tired, I can still reach down deep and just, I don't know, find the energy I need, one, to just finish strong. But also, it's that other thing, and, and maybe it's just my vanity or whatever it is. I'm like, you're about to run to the finish line where everybody's waiting. Do you really want <laughs> you really want people to see you sauntering up to the finish line, or I mean, the strategy should have been you should have walked the last four or five miles and just run at the very end and look and look like you were finishing strong. You know what I mean? So it seemed like there was a tactical error there. But the point is, is yeah, maybe I'm just trying to draw a distinction between. Um, When I was running and I'm seeing the finish line, it was very easy to sort of uh, put the pedal to the metal. And yet, yeah, I I feel like I'm kind of stutter-stepping into this last semester at school. Um, But yeah, I sort of gestured toward work. Yeah, I said I ate pizza at work. And you're thinking, well, why'd you do that? Uh, In my work, we have volunteers. A big part of my job is I train our volunteers And we do like four trainings a year. And uh, I've been gone for the last two months, obviously. But uh, as I'm coming back, we're finishing up a training cycle. And so we, quote, graduated our volunteers today. And we always throw a pizza party for them. And um, yeah, so that's nice. Although I think the big change, and maybe I talked about this. Maybe I didn't talk about this. I'm not sure. But I've been in my current job for about six years. And uh, I originally started off as a volunteer there and um i actually announced to my work uh last week that uh i will be i basically gave them my notice that i'm going to be there for two more weeks and then i'm going to quit so uh yeah basically just to give me a chance to focus on my studies and uh i'm taking a you know pretty heavy course load this semester in addition to that i have to write my honors thesis which I am ostensibly have, have been working on for two semesters, or at least I was supposed to start last semester. And although I looked at it and kind of gathered some research materials, I haven't looked or thought looked at or thought about it in many months. So, I admit that uh, although I have to pick that up here pretty soon, I'm also thinking I just don't know how that's going to work out. So, um, yeah. So I put in my two weeks. So, um. Yeah, it definitely feels like uh, the end of an era for me. Um, But I also have to admit, you know, as important as my work was to me, um, and frankly, I'm not sure if I've talked about it at length or or if I should, but I'll just say that I worked for the the county crisis line. I started off as a volunteer there myself. I spent most of my time uh, as a shift supervisor and crisis counselor on the lines with our callers and supervising our volunteers. Um, And during that time, I was doing some training where I would teach classes for the volunteer cohorts that would come in. Um, And over time, I just took on more of that training responsibility and really, really enjoyed it. Um, Eventually, I kind of um, was given a, you know, I was given, yeah, I basically transitioned away from uh, focusing on being on the lines with our callers to uh, interviewing volunteers, uh, training volunteers, designing and, and facilitating training and that sort of stuff. And, um, although that's been great and in some ways made me think about what I, you know, maybe uh, teaching or something like that would be something that I could do and enjoy. I've also kind of known for the last couple of years that I've I've pretty much gotten everything I'm going to get out of this job. It's been very important for my personal and professional development, but it's just become increasingly clear that, um, mm, yeah, I've kind of gotten everything I'm going to get out of it. So, So, yeah, I guess in one part I feel a little sad, or maybe actually I'm I'm happy to be leaving because I think it will, um, one, I just won't go as crazy as I have been going most semesters. I mean, I remember right before I left for Taiwan, um, I was just, you know, it's bad for my health. I just looked awful. I wasn't sleeping well. I was stressed. And... um At the end of the day, that's kind of, you know, like something I tell myself all the time when things get hard is I just say, well, it's called work for a reason. You know, it's just hard. And it's not like, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess it's not hard like some jobs are hard. It's not like uh, I'm doing anything, you know, especially difficult. Meaning there's millions of people in history who have been full-time students and worked full-time. So I kind of berate myself or tell myself that I, I shouldn't adopt uh, quite the, uh, martyr mentality that I, that I might sometimes, um, this is just a part of life and it's something that other people have done and it's something that you can do as well. But if I'm being honest, at the same time, it was just really wreaking havoc on my physical health, on my mental health in some ways. And, um, and I admit, I, I don't want to go into details because it seems like, I don't know, it's not really my place to, you know, I can air my own dirty laundry or, you know, I can say and or, or, and even regret things that I say about myself on this record, and and I can sort of live with that. But it's you know, it's not really my place to sort of air other people's dirty laundry or something like that. So I won't go into details about my work. But it's just been you know kind of frustrating for me for a long time. There just haven't been as many opportunities for um, advancement as I would have liked, and um, you know, just different philosophies on mm, operational things or systems levels, systems level thinking. Um, where we just kind of, um, our perspectives were divergent. And, um, so yeah, again, I I felt I've been sort of spinning my wheels or that it's more of a job of convenience, um, than anything else, which is not nothing, but you know, that's not really going to be sustainable in the long run, I think. So, so yeah, I admit, I sort of talked about it in therapy and, uh, you know, it's funny. I sort of go about my life, and I'm always looking for permission to do the things that I know I want to do. Um, you know, for example, when I first broached this topic in therapy a couple weeks ago, you know, it was all about well, I need to find out if I'll be returning to Taiwan, and it was I, I was sort of framing the conversation in 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 terms of logistics. But as I was talking about it uh, in our last session, I was you know some things had happened that really kind of solidified that you know, it's really going to be a greater challenge than I anticipated continuing to stay in this position. You know, the frustrations that were kind of tolerable previously, you know, I think just after a long break of being in Taiwan and maybe having a better sense of the direction I'm headed and how I'd like to be spending my time, returning to those frustrations just didn't feel as sustainable or, or manageable. And, you know, my third Piss was like well it sounds like you don't want to work there regardless of what the future holds whether or not you go back to Taiwan it just sounds like you don't want to be there and if you don't have to financially um, why would you and so yeah it was just clarifying for me because I feel like there's so many things in my life that if it were if it were just up to me or if I lived in a vacuum I know exactly what I want to do but I always struggle with making that decision, or just doing the thing that I want to do, because I always feel like I have to justify it to somebody else. I mean, on a macro level, I don't really know what I want to do with my future. Practically, although I'm also holding space for, I remember, <laughs> you know, I told, I said at the end of our last record here that, you know, I don't want to forget, you know, I, I know I have this looming creative project, which at the end of the day is really how I want to spend my time. But the thing that makes it feel impossible is how do I justify that to other people? You know, I'm knocking on the door of 40. I'm not established in a professional career. I'm actually just finishing my undergrad. And it's like I I feel this need, you know, maybe also as someone who's dating too, who uh, not infrequently has to sit across from strangers and kind of present themselves to them as a viable uh, uh, romantic option. You know, I have to basically show people where I'm at in my life. And, uh, you know, let myself be evaluated. It can feel uncomfortable sometimes if I'm sitting across from someone who has different values from me or is expecting, you know. uh, Yeah, yeah. They, 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 yeah, maybe they just don't like where I'm at in my life. We're at very different places, you know, if they're well established in their career. I mean, especially at 40, you have people who like have kids or have already burned through one marriage, you know. And here I am, like just graduating college. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I know on one level that my story is more complicated than that. But on first hearing, you know, it's it's very easy for someone to just assume I've been sort of sitting on my hands twiddling my thumbs for the last fifteen years or so. But um but uh, yeah, where am I going with that? I guess I'm saying you know, whether it's quitting my job or returning to Taiwan. Yeah, I guess I can have a lot of clarity about what I want to do or the or or the, you know, whatever the next step in my life should be for me to make me happy. But it's very difficult for me to make that decision because I I feel the need to justify it. How how am I going to justify that decision to other people? You know, on a large scope, you know, I don't really know what I want to do with my life, you know. I don't really know like I guess returning to school And starting on this whole trajectory, I really thought that there was going to be a moment where I stumbled across something where there was just like a spark or a light bulb went off or I would find, you know, not music or something else that really, you know, my dad described it one time, um, he, he worked in sort of finance more or less, but he said, you know, when he does that, when he looks at the stock market for him, like time just like disappears. You know, it's the thing he does where he just gets lost in it. And it's the type of thing that he can spend an entire day doing and it doesn't feel like work. Not that it doesn't have its own challenges or disappointments or things like that, but it's the type of thing that he can really give himself and his time to and it doesn't feel like a loss. It's something that he actually really enjoys doing. And if you can make money doing that, um, that's great. You know, for me, it has been and probably continues to be creative stuff. And, um, uh, yeah, that's very hard to leverage in terms of like making money. But the point is, is that returning to school, I really hope that I would find something that kind of lit me up in the same way, you know, whether it was being a teacher or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, that just hasn't happened. And so I'm really at a point where I'm kind of reconciling myself to the idea that although i would like to be a man of the world in a traditional sense where i have a job that i that i sort of love and i can advance in a kind of typical career and be fulfilled by that at the end of the day i'm i'm an artist you know and and i realize that's multidimensional but i'm a creative type and i'm just going to have to find a job and it's not going to be a job that fulfills me in the same way that art or creativity does. But it's going to have to be the best of what's around, given the available information. And I still don't know what that is. It could be teaching. It could be something tangential to Chinese. Or maybe it's teaching English in Taiwan or something like that. You know, But it's not going to be the kind of spirit-fulfilling work that I was hoping to find. And so for now, I, I guess I'm trying to contrast it with what I do know which is, I'm going to graduate this semester, and really the only thing I want for myself right now is to get back to Taiwan. You know, I've applied to a couple language programs um, that start at various times in the winter and the spring, either February or March, and I would be there for three months. And, you know, that's not a lifelong plan, but when I think about what I actually want for the immediate future, that's really the only thing that comes to mind. You know, and... Um, if there was some type of geopolitical event where that was not possible, I would be genuinely disappointed. You know, but there's really nothing else in my life that feels as clear as that. I guess actually, um, returning to the topic of work, I think my therapist was reflecting, it actually sounds like you don't want your job. So for example... Although it's a negative expression, it's not a want, it's a not want, but I know in my heart I don't want to work at my job anymore. Uh, I know that very clearly. Um, so, but again, I, I feel a lot of external pressures. You know, it's, it, I guess for me, although I know what I want sometimes, it, it sort of pales in comparison to what I think I should be doing. You know and I have to you know and, and and the challenge for me is thinking about where does that should come from so for example although I know I don't want to work at my job and at the end of the day financially I don't have to I have the resources to not work for a time if that's what I choose to do but for some reason I have this operating idea in my mind that I have to that or that I should be a full-time student and be going to Uh, And working full-time. I should be working and going to school full-time. And part of it, I feel, is like a penance. Like, because I'm 38, because I've, you know, put off this chapter of my life, this uh, graduating college or something like that, that I need to make it harder for myself. You know, I was sort of laughing with a friend, honestly. I was saying, I had this thought, actually, as I was walking around campus the other day, which is... You know, this is not boasting. This is just true, which is since returning to school, I've been an exceptional student. Um, Even while I've been working, I've gotten straight A's except for one B plus that I got in my fourth semester of Mandarin. But I've gotten straight A's, you know, um, honors list, dean's list. I was awarded the CLS scholarship to study Mandarin in Taiwan. Um, You know, I'll be applying for for a Fulbright scholarship to maybe go to graduate school in Taiwan, which I think I'm very competitive for. Uh, I got an invitation to Phi Beta Kappa, which I'm now a member of. Which you can Google. I don't. I'm not gonna, first of all, I don't really care what Phi Beta Kappa is, but it's you know it's a, the type of thing that looks good on a resume. And um, but at the but at the same time, I'm also thinking you're an adult. You know, there's a part of me that treats it like well, it's like if you were playing a basketball with a bunch of elementary schoolers, you should be killing it you know what I'm saying it's like although I'm doing well in college and that's great that's not nothing at the end of the day I feel like I'm on a um, uh, what do they call it like an obstacle course that's designed for people who are at least 18 and probably at most in their early 20s for the most part right so I feel like I should be killing it it's very easy for me to discount those accomplishments because I say that's what you should be doing especially as an adult And if you're choosing to be in college in this chapter of your life, you should be working full time as well. Like just for your own dignity, right? As I'm sort of exiting my job, I feel like I'm also walking into this chapter of my life where I'm just a college student. And that feels a little infantile or juvenile. You know, as if it's somehow not enough for someone at my age to just be going to school. And so, yeah, it's weird because on the one hand, it's like there should be something. Excuse me, there should be something. I guess I look at, you know, um, (laughs) on the one hand, from like a psycho-spiritual or personal development perspective, I feel like knowing what you want and giving yourself permission to do the thing that you want to do, regardless of what other people think about it. I mean, even as I'm saying this. You know I'm not pretending that there maybe even you or other people listening to this agree with everything I'm saying which is yeah you should be going to school full-time and you should be a full-time student and you should be getting straight A's and to be doing less than that especially at your age is embarrassing you know that could be people listening to this it could be the people i sit across from on dates but the point is is that even knowing that's real if I search inside myself and realize that that's not the type of thing that's dictating my life and that's not going to make me happy or maybe even worse, bending myself to that or making that the rubric that I use to make important decisions in my life is actually going to make me miserable. Like that's actually not very evolved. That's just kind of self-defeating. And in a way it's kind of immature, you know, to just kind of defer or look to the world to tell you what you should be doing. In a way, the more mature thing, the more evolved thing even if it's confusing to other people, is to, to do the thing that you know is going to make you happy. That's winning. You know, for example, I I just watched this movie, The Big Short, uh, which is not a great movie, but it's on Netflix right now. And it's so weird. It's one of these things where when I went into work today and we had our sort of get-together with the volunteers who are graduating, and my supervisor said, oh, I just watched The Big Short. And I said, you're fucking shitting me. I literally finished that this morning before I came here. And it just reminded me that, you know, although we, you know, especially online, whether it's Netflix or what other streaming services we use, we think we're kind of watching our own thing, but we're all kind of being shown the same content at the same time. Even these old movies, like The Big Short, which I think came out in like 2015, you know, I don't know. It just feels like we're all uh, picking from the same buffet. And so, anyway, there was something invalidating about that as well. (laughs) I was sort of watching this movie. Um um and uh yeah yeah it, it was just weird that you know my supervisor had sort of watched the same thing or had been served up the same content it felt like uh i don't know i think my algorithm knows me or something but it it doesn't it's just feeding me the same shit it's feeding everybody else but the point is is that you know there's a, you know i i don't pretend to really understand the whole housing crisis or the financial stuff that happened in 2007 even though i lived through it um but one of the takeaways is basically one of the reasons this, you know financial crisis was so cataclysmic was that you just had a kind of collective delusion and everybody was kind of playing the same game because nobody was really looking into things. Everybody was just kind of getting along the same way everybody else was. And um, you know, there's there's something like that in life sometimes where we all just try to get along and do the thing that everybody else seems to be doing. And although it's not making us happy, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, if this is the should, right, the should that's sort of propelling or informing my decisions, we kind of blame ourselves for it not making us happy, you know, uh, which is what I live with. You know, it's not like I think, oh, this is not making me happy. I guess I want something else. It's like, oh, this isn't making me happy. I guess there's something wrong with me is really how I feel about it most times. So yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just trying to say, I feel like, you know, when I make these decisions, like despite what other people might think about this, I know work is not making me happy, um, and I need to trust my own judgment about that. And especially since I don't have to work, I'm just going to give myself permission to quit that job, and see how that works for me. <laughs> that is uh, that. There's a, you know, you may scoff and laugh at this, but. Believe it or not, for me, there's a type of courage in that. Um, When I make those types of decisions, I feel like, (laughs) you know, I feel like I'm taking a risk. You know, I'm kind of betting on myself in a way that I don't normally do. And, you know, that's a very uncomfortable thing for me to do. But I'm trying to do more of it. And I think, uh, just trying to get back to where I was talking about before, like I don't really know what I want to do long term. And so I feel that pressure. You know, I have these sort of imaginary voices or phantoms that I just sort of imagine circling around me and putting this sort of invisible pressure on me. Um, At the end of the day, there's no one banging down my door or interrogating me or asking me these types of questions. But I put this pressure on myself or I imagine that these types of people exist you know, even though I don't know what I want to do long term, I know that I want to get back to Taiwan. I know I want to go back in the winter and, the, and spring and just continue my language study and trust that process and see what it presents to me. Um, you know, and that's all I know. I know I want to. I don't want to work at my job. I know I want to graduate. I want to finish strong, so I'll work hard at that. And after that, I'd like to go to Taiwan for another three months. And that's about it. You know, and I wish I knew more than that. I mean, I guess because at the same time, very practically, I have to be applying for grad school if I'm going, if I want to go to grad school at all. Now I need to be applying for it. You know, I mentioned a Fulbright scholarship, which I'm applying for. At the end of the day, I'm not convinced that that's what I want, but if I want to be in the running for it at all, I need to complete the application by October, and shortly after that. Um, Taiwanese schools are not on the same schedule as US schools, but it's like if you want to go to grad school in Taiwan, you need to begin applying, you know, sort of towards the end of the semester. So those are things that I'm going to be doing anyway. I really think my time returning in the spring and the winter for three months will actually help me decide if that's actually what I want to be doing. Just because although I loved my two months there, and I may love my, the, you know, the next three months that I spend there. I think living in Taiwan is very different from visiting Taiwan. You know, for example, I have a friend who um, uh, left for Taiwan just a couple days ago, actually, and they're going to be there for nine months. And while I'm very excited for them, I'm also kind of going to use them as a case study, you know, to see what, you know, spending more time there feels like. I mean, I do have one friend. I was, you know, my, my, my supervisor was asking me, oh, did you make friends or do you stay in touch with people? And just last night, I have two friends that I, I um, um, uh, Taiwanese people use an app called Line. I'm sorry if you're already well familiar with it and I'm talking to you like I'm telling you something new. But in Taiwan, they use an app called Line to connect. That's They send text messages and all that sort of stuff through that versus through, you know, just straight up text messages on your iPhone or something like that. So I message with these people all the time, but we also check in you know, we have, we have checked in every week since I've been back through, you know, a a long form video conversation. And so last night I messaged both of them for about an hour and a half each. Um, and one of them is actually from Vietnam and she's been living in Taiwan for I think a couple of years now is also learning Mandarin and also is employed by a Taiwanese company, you know, but she's, you know, she's, Although she originally loved Taiwan and enjoyed visiting and thought moving there and working in Taiwan would be the bee's knees, it actually hasn't worked out for her the way that she wanted. And it could be the job that she's in. It's just not fulfilling. But I guess I'm just trying to acknowledge that, you know, that's kind of... It's just something to consider, that visiting is very different than living there. But the one thing I told them, and I'm sort of trying to tell myself as well, as I'm sort of saying, well, I, I know that I want to return and I want to explore more, and my time there in the spring or the winter is going to be a little bit of a reconnaissance mission. You know, a lot of times you just don't know until you do something. Um, how could you? You know? you know, until you spend time in a foreign country, a significant amount of time, how could one know whether or not they're going to be happy there? But I think I do this thing where I imagine, oh, if I were to go to grad school in Taiwan and after a year I realized I was miserable it would be very easy for me to just sort of crucify myself and assume that I had made some catastrophic error that I should have foreseen from the very beginning. You know, I treat relationships this way too, as well, or when I think about relationships. You know, at at the the, the first iteration of this uh, audio record, this uh, personal journal that you're listening to, you know, when I took a break of it, I, I ended a five-year relationship. And I'm not saying that I really had these feelings at the end of that. But, um, you know, that was the longest relationship I had been in. And the fact that that one didn't kind of go the distance, and by that I mean like end in marriage or something like that, I think it's easy to assume that it somehow wasn't a success, ultimately. I'm not saying I really see it that way. But, um, But when I look ahead and I think about what I want from dating now, you know, most people my age, if they get in a serious relationship, they definitely want to get married. Um, But anyway, I feel like I'm talking myself in circles. But the point I'm really trying to make is uh, or or, uh, uh, to get to is what I told my friend, which is, you know, just because you moved to Taiwan and you work at a company and you're not happy, it doesn't mean that it was a mistake to go there. That was still a formative experience. You know, you couldn't have known what living in Taiwan and working in Taiwan would have felt like until you went there. So, you know, you don't need to beat yourself up for it, not turning out the way that you wanted it to, uh, that, that, that you wanted things to turn out. It just, that's the way life works, you know? And so sometimes I guess I don't know if it's smart or, you know, I tell myself it's short sighted, but maybe it's smart to just make, you know, you know, make decisions based on the information you have now. Don't forecast too far into the future, and just take it one step at a time and see where things go. You know, going back to Taiwan, which is what I want to do, and it's what I can do and it's what I will do. You know, just the few months I spend there, who knows what that experience will bring. You know? It may clarify a lot for me. It may let me know that I definitely don't want to be there for grad school and whether or not I get accepted. I mean, the good thing about applying to things is you don't have to go. You know, you just put your hat in. Uh uh, what do you call it? You put your hat in the game? You put your hat in the ring? I don't know. You put your name in the hat. Maybe that's one way to think about it. You pull your name in the hat, and if they draw it, you can then decide if it's something that you actually want to do. Although I will say, <coughs> the one way in which grad school applications are different is, you know, I require references. And so I do feel a little bad that I know, like for Fulbright especially, I will kind of need the support or the endorsement of, you know, not a few people. I need to find someone to evaluate my language skills. I need three letters of recommendation. And those letters of recommendation, you know, they can't just be generic endorsements of character or academic progress. They they actually have to speak to my ability to accomplish what I'm saying I'm setting out to accomplish in my graduate program. So they kind of have to be tailor-made for that program. And that's a big ask, you know. So I guess at this point I'm waffling a little bit because I do feel ambivalent if that's something that I want to do or not. And I guess I feel bad about, you know, asking people to devote their own time for me to be considered for something that I'm actually kind of on the fence about. So oh, even talking about it makes me a little whatever. Yeah. Speaking of giving yourself permission to do things. This is very forced, but I'm trying to remind myself. I remember at the end of our, you know, the well, last installment of whatever this is, I was talking about the Christopher Nolan film Memento, and not forgetting, and um, yeah, I guess I'm trying to remind myself. You know, I I haven't listened back to it, but I think the last time that we connected, I probably made a kind of hopeful or, mm, you know maybe even prayerful if that's not too heavy-ended a word a prayerful statement about hey i hope by the time we reconnect or you hear from me i've made meaningful progress on this creative project finally or I've, I've finally picked it up in earnest and i haven't done that and um you know i don't have a lot to say about it other than the same thing over and over again but as i come to this i guess i just want to just keep bringing it up and reminding myself that it's something to think about meaningfully. And um, oh, I don't know. The minute I start talking about it, I sort of regret it. But um, yeah, maybe that's enough. I just want to acknowledge it and say that I haven't forgotten about it, and it's something I need to continue thinking about. And who knows? I mean, it could be that once I'm once I graduate, even if I do go to grad school, I'll have an entire semester and a summer to myself for the most part. I mean, even if I do go to Taiwan for my language study, you know, there's many hours in the day. There's still plenty of time to do creative things if that's what I want to do. And who knows? Maybe, you know, kind of writing in exile or writing, you know, in a place far removed from my routine is just the thing I need. Because I admit, I said when I came back, I the last thing I wanted is to fall into my routine. And I have to be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I sort of fell back into that immediately. You know, the minute I start classes again, I feel like I'm back in the same part of my life, you know, and it's like this whole experience in Taiwan didn't happen. And, you know, I think part of, you know, quitting my job is just trying to, you know, do something drastic to make sure that something about this, these next few months or this last semester is not like the others. And it doesn't mean that I take on any added responsibilities or that I work exponentially harder in a way, maybe it's like just taking a risk to actually work less hard in some ways, you know, to, to be healthier. (laughs) You know, it's not like uh, maybe I don't use this time to uh, write the next great American novel or anything, but I use that time to like go to bed at a reasonable hour or maybe exercise more, you know, or I don't know, read a book for fun. Although, of course, for me, I tell myself, like, now I have all this added time, like, what can I fill it with to make myself feel productive? You know, I think, well, you're really going to have to, um, you're really going to have to take responsibility for your language study. You know, last year, uh, fall and spring, I had no modern Mandarin classes. I just had classical Chinese. And so uh, when I went to Taiwan, you know, I could get by, but, you know, my language... I didn't have quite the language gains I should have had if I had continued my language study throughout the year or if I had kept it up in a more meaningful way. You know, I had language partners that I would connect with and we would talk a little bit, but that just kind of kept things from drying up completely. You know, there was really no improvement there. And so, I don't know. I think about this. I think I was sort of inching toward this topic at the beginning of our talk here that I sort of lost the plot a little bit, but I, I did have an interesting moment in therapy as well which was sort of tangentially related to my therapist saying, well, you know what you want to do, you know? And there are things that I feel very clearly that I know I want to do. Like, yeah, I want to quit my job. And so therapy is great for validating those things. doesn't mean that you follow through with those plans, but it can just clarify for you how you actually feel about things. Um, You know, I know I want to return to Taiwan, and so that's very validating, and so I will be doing that. But my therapist made this observation that felt a little strange to me which is as i was saying you know when i returned to school i really wanted to find the thing that i fell in love with and that when i did at the time sort of slipped away um you know the types of you know the type of way i would feel sometimes when i'm working on creative stuff or when i was songwriting or even editing video and my therapist like well you have and i was like well what's that and she's like chinese and i was like it's interesting that you say that, because I was a- I've actually had conversations with people recently, and maybe I've said it here as well. I actually don't feel like I'm in love with Chinese, the language. You know? It's not, I mean, one, I don't think I'm that talented at it. It's been very hard for me. And actually, for most of my studying, and I think some of it's predicated on I had kind of a unique entry point into the language, I've like not been like great at it. You know, I mean, I started studying, I had a year's, you know, I had to sort of crash course my way into studying Mandarin and took a year's worth of study over the summer. And when I started, you know, with a regular course load in the fall, I was like one of the worst people in the class consistently for the entire semester. I mean, especially for how much work I put in. I mean, there were people who spoke or were not as good as me, but that was because they just didn't, they clearly weren't doing the work. I was doing the work and the homework, and I showed up to class every day. And I was just not very good. You know, most of the students were just better than me. Um, um, And when I went to Middlebury, I mean, I originally went sort of, like, temporarily, or given the exposure that I had had, I should have been a third-year student. But it was very apparent very quickly that that was going to be too challenging for me. And I had to be, like, be demoted to a more elementary level. Uh, And... um, you know, that was great for my language gains, but it was also, you know, I had to reconcile myself to the fact that, like, you know, I guess given my exposure level, I wasn't where I should be. And that's actually one of the frustrating things about language, which is actually, even though I've been studying, the, in terms of calendar time, I've only been studying the language for two years, I've actually had five years worth of exposure, but language is one of these things that you just... And it's frustrating to me that it is this way. I wish it wasn't this way, but it's its proving itself to be unlike other disciplines or other things, which is, you know, it's sort of your development is just sort of commensurate with the time that you put into it and the, the exposure that you have to it. And there, is a, there are ways in which language is like that. But I also think that, you know, even if you were to move to a foreign country and immerse yourself there, you know especially if you're, like, an adult. As a child, maybe you will just absorb it, but you really have to marinate in language because it doesn't matter how many Chinese movies you watch or if you just move to China or Taiwan and just immerse yourself in the language. Although, I don't want to say that the input is nothing. If you're not understanding what's happening, you know, you're not just going to magically learn the language. It's just going to wash over you. And, um you know, it's really, maybe it's a bit like, well, I was going to say working out or <laughs> something like that. But actually, I, you know, it's like, yeah, if you just sort of never leave the treadmill, of course, you're going to lose weight a lot faster. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's like muscle. I mean, no matter how much you want to do, your muscles are going to give out. You know, your muscles are only as strong as they are. You know, so... It doesn't matter. You can't really will yourself to do more if your body's sort of giving out. And I'm not pretending this is a perfect analogy, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say, which is, although I've had X amount of input, it's just going to be impossible for my language ability to actually be there, you know, Um, because, yeah, my skills are only going to develop so fast. So although I'm doing very well for two years, and I've had some people let me know, they're very surprised. Oh, wow, you're only studying the language for two years? You're doing very well. There are also times where I feel you know, well behind where I should be. And um, that's very frustrating. So anyway, I think I'm just trying to say that, you know, when I imagine myself stumbling on the thing that I would, that I love to do, there would be, you know, signs that I was sort of meant to do this because I would just sort of feel the wind at my back and I would feel myself taking off and I would be excelling at it. And at the end of the day, that's just not true of my language study. I've always done very good. My grades have always been very good because I am a good student. But there's actually a sense in which, like, being getting good grades and also just having a strong sense of where I'm actually at, that's clarified for me that being a good student and having a skill set are actually two different things. You know, I took a semester of calculus and a semester of statistics and got an A in both, and I don't understand those topics. You know, so yeah, I guess whether it's language or math. You know, you can get an A in something and not understand it. And that may sound very strange, but I guess I'm just trying to say a good student is one thing and somebody who has a skill set is something else. So, you know, um, I guess it's like even at my job, which was sort of like mental health related, I was working alongside, and, and I originally went to school to study psychology, maybe to become a therapist. But when I was alongside people who were in grad school for social work or to be clinicians or studying psychology, it was obvious to me that we were not the same type of people. I mean, they would talk about this stuff with a level of passion that I just knew in my heart I didn't possess. And I have to admit, I have a little bit of that feeling with Chinese too. Like There's people who love the language and they just can't get enough of it and they want to study vocab and, you know, I mean, one of my roommates actually when I was in Taiwan was like, you know, teaching themselves like a different type of, you know, it's called, I think it's called like Bopumufu bopumufu, or Bopumufu. I'm going to laugh if I hear this when I actually get my mind around what it is. But basically it's, you know, um, uh, if you're actually Chinese or Taiwanese, this is the way that you learn um, syllables and, and and actually how to type uh, Chinese characters versus what we use which is called pinyin um, but like they were just teaching themselves that and also you know there's this uh, it's actually interesting my supervisor texted me last night and asked me about this which I didn't really understand but sometimes people hear about the difference between simplified and traditional Chinese and they think it's uh, something to do with the spoken language it's not it's actually how the language is written so if you speak Mandarin Mandarin can be written in either traditional or simplified characters, and the traditional characters are just that. They're the original characters, but they're more complex. They're harder to write. They're more involved. And so to increase literacy, they created simplified characters, and that has become the standard version, Uh, but there are—so if in America, if you're learning Chinese, you're courses probably default to using simplified characters because that's standard in China. However, there are places in the world like Hong Kong and Taiwan that still use traditional characters exclusively. So, although my inclination is to learn simplified and stick with that, you know, some students have taken it upon themselves to learn traditional characters and I don't really have that impulse. Although now I have to, you know, I will have to sort of go back and kind of, uh, learn traditional characters again. But, um, Yeah. So all this to just say, like, I I don't see that type of like above and beyond that I would like to see for myself in something that um, if I'm going to be giving my time to it, that I would be putting in. If that makes sense. Um, But yeah. So it was just yeah, it was just strange for my therapist to say, "Well, you love Chinese," and I'd be like, "That's interesting because I don't feel like I love Chinese." And this is a very scary thing for me to say, but even in my last relationship. Although I know intellectually that I loved this person, I never felt like I was falling in love with them. And while that sounds bad, hear me out, I want to contrast that with the sort of brief story that I told you last time about dating in Taiwan, which is I went on a date with someone that I had two dates with that were the best dates I've ever been on in my life. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I, I literally thought, oh, this is what it's like when you meet the person that you're going to marry. But because that didn't pan out, you know, you know, the, the real takeaway is that actually those firework types of experiences, although they're great and they're awesome when they happen, and I don't want to say that it wasn't awesome, they actually don't forecast a lot. They actually don't tell you a lot. You know, they just kind of are what they are. For example, I love art and creativity, and I'm not going to make a living out of it. That's just the way it is. You know, I tell myself when I find the thing I'm supposed to be doing, I'm going to excel at it, right? We have a lot of successful people and entrepreneurs and whatever personalities telling us that, you know, if you sort of unlock or you solve the Rubik's Cube of your life and yourself, when you find the thing that you're supposed to be doing, you're going to take off like a rocket ship. And while I want that, excuse me, as while I want that for myself and I want that for you, that just may not be the way the cracker crumbles. You know? At the end of the day, life is really like these other things, which is the longest and most meaningful relationship of my life with someone who I did love, by the way. It was much more calmer. And, you know, it just sort of kept on going and it was always good and didn't stop. And I guess I'm trying to equate that with language study. You know, my therapist says, you love Chinese. And I go, well, I guess. But maybe maybe I'm a little miscalibrated and then I'm looking for the fireworks or I'm looking for the thing that, you know, I feel like I'm going to take off like a rocket ship. But maybe this is just what life is. You find the thing that you do and as long as it works, you just kind of keep going down that path. And as long as, as, long as doors keep opening, you just kind of take the ride wherever wherever it leads you. You know, and I feel like that's kind of where I'm at, which is, yeah, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know where this is leading me. But right now, this is working out pretty well. You know, learning Chinese has given me a lot of experiences I just never would have had otherwise. And as long as that's working out for me, as long as I want to do that, let's see where that goes. You know, take the ride. maybe it's a bit of a scenic route (laughs) you know maybe it's these types of firework experiences are like the the Learjet or something like that and while that's very fun you know maybe there's a way it's because it's all fireworks it's going to burn out very quickly but sometimes the thing that really the the real vehicle the greater vehicle of our lives the thing that's really going to take us the distance is the one that's kind of slow and steady you know that's the thing that's going to burn the longest. For example, it's interesting to me when I think about, you know, when I sort of first installment of this little personal journal was like 100 recordings, right? And that was like two and a half years of doing that every week. And that just kind of went by like nothing. But when I look back on that repository of recordings, and you're, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time, you're certainly welcome to go back and hear those. It's just interesting what you can create if you just kind of commit to the process and just chip away at something. You know? And it may not mean anything to anybody else, but it's like I heard Tony Robbins say this one thing which, you know, is a little platitudinous, but I think it happens to be true, which is people generally vastly overestimate what they can accomplish in one year, but they vastly underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. You know? And I'm not pretending that this is the best thing ever, In fact, you know, um, I don't know if this is disappointing to hear, but there's actually something about recording these little journals, which is, you know, it's, it's part of an exercise in tolerating my own mediocrity. You know, there's so much about, you know, when I was writing songs and everything had to be perfect and I would just sort of excoriate myself for, you know, um, just trying to find the perfect word or perfect turn of phrase. You know, although that was good, and that led me to write some some songs that I think are pretty good. Um, At this point in my life, the idea of, like, sitting down and torturing myself that way just doesn't feel productive. Um, And, yeah, there's something about just, you know, forcing myself, or uh, maybe another way to look at it is giving myself permission to just sit down and record myself for an hour, and no matter what it is, just put it out is kind of showing myself, you know, it's kind of returning to this place of when I was first writing songs as the plastic arts. And I was just kind of writing songs for myself and recording them and putting them out in the world. And, you know, I still get emails from people who found that music. You know, it wasn't a lot of people, but it was almost like that music found the people it was meant for. And those are the emails that I still get. You know, I still get emails from people who say, oh, I found that record, like, 10 years ago, and it's just, you know, it's, I listen to it all the time. You know, there's not a lot of people listening to this. I'm not reaching a lot of people with these recordings. And in fact, a lot of the people I'm reaching don't like it. <laughs> but, at least the feedback that I've gotten is that people don't like it. But, you know, I know that some of you do, because I also, I also get that feedback as well. So, I think the point I'm trying to make is just trusting the process. And, commit. first of all, committing to a process, and then just trusting it. Because... Even if the thing is not perfection in and of itself, it's the commitment to the process and letting it take you somewhere um, that is meaningful. You know, in a way, I don't. I, I guess as I'm thinking about it now, maybe I will look up and decide that I actually love Chinese and I've just been deluding myself. Um, yeah, or or there's you know whatever self-destructive or whatever uh, operating software I have in my brain is just trying to convince me otherwise, but you know maybe i don't need to be in love with chinese either you know maybe i'm i'm sort of shooting at the wrong target if whether it's in relationships or in my major or in my work or in my life if i'm just kind of sitting around waiting for the sign from god you know the clear kind of the clouds depart and uh, the light to sort of shine down on me and let me know that this is the way forward you're probably going to miss a lot of opportunities right i mean there's that sort of overused sort of example of I don't know the story exactly, but it's like there's a flood and the person sees it as like a sign from God. And so as their neighbors evacuate, they say, come with us. And they say, no, I'm waiting for a sign from God. And then one of the rescue boats comes by and say, hey, hop on. And he says, no, I'm waiting for a sign from God. And then of course the guy dies and he goes to heaven. And God's like, hey man, what's up with you? Why'd you do that? He says, I was waiting for a sign from you. And he was like, well, I sent the neighbors, I sent the boat, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. So I guess I'm just trying to say that sometimes actually a better example would be in Labyrinth, where Jennifer Connelly's sort of running down the pathway and she's thinking, there's no turns, there's no doors, there's no anything. And the little worm says, there's a turn right in front of you. You know, if we just go through our experience in our life, sort of waiting for these big overtures, we're actually going to miss all the turns and all the pathways that could have led us to the goal in the first place. So, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to trust the process. I'm going to take the ride and uh, yeah, as long as the way keeps opening up ahead of me, I'll just uh, do that. Um, So anyway, I'm already hearing this exit music play me off, which lets me know it's time to go. Um, So yeah, I'm not sure if we can put a button on anything or if we're going to finish very gracefully here, but um, that's okay. There is future installments for us to sort of pick these things up and continue the conversation. So Well, we'll just have to wait for that then. So until then, uh, I'll thank you again. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And ciao for now.